1: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Dave Glover Show with Dave, Rachel, and Kevin. Sponsored by
2: Michael's Flooring Outlet, the flooring experts. I got floor.com.
3: G.S. Andrew's off Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Wheeler took off today. He'll be back in tomorrow. John Hancock, uh, kind enough to come in and hang out with us. Uh, so let's talk a, a little bit of politics that All we right. have you here. So Donald Trump, it seems unstoppable. Uh, yep. He's up by like f- literally 50 points. And yet Nikki Haley is up uh, 17 points on Joe Biden. Yeah. Now Trump's up on Biden as well. I yep. think he's outside the margin of error
4: now. In a couple of states. Yeah,
3: yeah in a couple of states. Just uh, how you handicapping?
4: Well, uh, you know, we're uh, <laughs> we're going to nominate Donald Trump. The Republicans are going to nominate Donald Trump. And if it's Joe Biden, he might win, mm-hmm. Donald Trump. Uh, I still don't think the Democrats are going to carry on with Biden. I think they're going to make a change.
3: How would how would that happen? How would that look? What's the process?
4: So I think the process is already well in, in really? place. So you, you've seen this elevation of Gavin Newsom uh, showing up, being the voice, the counterpoint after a Republican debate. You saw him debating Ron DeSantis. Uh, you've seen him veto a couple of very liberal bills in California. That's not an accident. And so I think those preparatory steps have been taking place. He's got money, he's raised money and it's a it's a sweet spot of timing I think that the that they're looking Now this is I'm just I have no inside knowledge whatsoever. <laughs> I'm just I'm just looking at this. this is what I do for a living. And if I'm a Democrat operative, And I'm looking at where Joe Biden is in the polls, where his favorable rating is. He's got his kids now indicted on nine counts. Uh, He's got a major rift over his support of Israel within the party. And uh, and he's losing to Donald Trump, who 60% of the people don't like. So if I'm looking at all those things, uh, you know, you have to imagine the alarm bells are on. And I'm looking at all these steps that have been taken with Newsom along the course of the last several months now. And so there's a point. Iowa and New Hampshire don't matter for Democrats. They're not—South Carolina is their first real test. So that's down the road in, in March. So there's a, there's a point probably after the first of the year where I can see a scenario where Joe Biden says, um, I've decided not to seek reelection as president of the United States. And it, maybe he endorses Newsom. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But there's no other horses out there that have got the horsepower to walk into that thing and, and win. So they're going to wait for the, the right time, I think, and make the switch. And, and then so the election we're looking at today... I don't think is going to be the election that we're going to face in November of next year.
3: So uh, you are a Republican strategist, but that probably makes you a really good Democrat strategist. If you were to be hired by Newsom, what's your approach? How do you go after Trump? Well, I mean, uh, aggressively, uh, you know, try to make him look foolish. Or do you take him seriously and treat him with respect?
4: You have to take him seriously. Um Donald Trump has remade the Republican Party. The The Republican electorate today looks nothing like it looked 20 years ago. I mean, nothing. And so y- you've got to take him seriously because Donald Trump has a very passionate and committed base of supporters. And many of them are people that heretofore have not really participated in the political system.
3: So they don't even realize how different the Republican Party is, no, many of them.
4: No, they don't. And so you know, if you're newsome in a case like that, what what I would do i would I would get into the the polling data. I'd look at the sixty percent of the public that has an unfavorable opinion of Donald Trump. And there are going to be multiple reasons why that is, and the demographics of the uh, the, the cross tabs, the, the, the you know, when you look at sections of the electorate, you know, by themselves. I would look at what it is that's informing that opinion for those voters, and I would then begin to craft a political strategy that speaks to those voters' wants, needs, and desires and amplifies their concerns about Donald Trump Mm -hmm. at the same time. And so you then, you build a platform, you build a message, you build out your your campaign approach, and it's really a half a dozen states that matter. So you got to get into those states, but I mean, they're... If you're running against somebody who's got a 60% unfavorable rating, which Donald Trump does and Joe Biden does, Mm -hmm. but if you're running against somebody that's got a 60% unfavorable rating, there does exist a path to win that election for somebody.
3: Who uh, among the Democrats would not like Gavin Newsom?
4: Well, he's going to have to he's going to have to walk a little bit of a narrow pathway because they do have a divide over Israel. And I don't see that issue going away. It it may go away by the spring summer. Uh, you know, once the the Gaza thing, but but that's that's been a real fissure that I didn't even know existed until this all happened. Yeah, and, right. and so he's going to have to navigate that. Uh, he, he's got to keep the traditional Democrat block of voters together, the labor uh, Democrats and, and, and African-Americans, which is the vital component of that Democrat constituency, and, and not lose the, the kids. He's got to figure out a way to inspire the young voters to show up and turn out. The biggest problem Biden has right now is that there's just no passion for him. And so when you, you've you got an election, and I think the numbers you're seeing in the polls, whatever you think of Donald Trump, he's got a passionate base of supporters out there. The people will go in the snow and walk through mud and vote for him. There is nothing like that that exists for Joe. But the only passion Biden has is anti-Trump passion. And I don't think that's enough. I just don't. And so who on the Republican
3: side... Does Gavin Newsom have the best chance of winning over? Would it be people like me who've always voted Republican but don't like Trump? Would it be suburban women? Who who does he
4: go after? Well, so suburban women have pretty much left at this point. Um, You know, that working women used to be one of the core Republican voting constituencies uh, for years women who worked outside the home were voting Republican. They were paying the bills at home. They were doing the taxes they, and they were voting Republican. Well, that that's kind of gone now. And so if you're looking for, I, I think Newsom would have to make a play for working class, blue collar, well-paid labor, uh, because that's a, that's a group that Democrats are losing right now mm-hmm. in a, in a pretty marked fashion. You know, the, 38% of the Republican primary vote today is white, high school-educated, lower-middle-class Americans. I mean, that's, that's a massive shift from what existed. Uh, but that it's the reality of where things are now. So he's going to have to make a play for those voters. And he's going to have to inspire African Americans uh, to, uh, to understand that this election is really important. And uh, if, you, if you believe the polls, and I tend to— Donald Trump's getting 20 percent of the African-American vote right now. I mean, any Republican that can get 20 percent of the African-American vote is uh, that's going to be tough to beat.
3: Yeah. Rach, what are your impressions of Gavin Newsom?
5: Um, I never thought too much of him until he did that debate with DeSantis. And I just I uh, the whole time I was like, well, why is this happening unless (laughs) he's running? And something really interesting happened. Ron DeSantis was getting, I think, a little flustered and frustrated. And he said, you know, Gavin Newsom's running a shadow campaign right now, but we can't talk about it. And then Sean Hannity popped in and said, we're not supposed to bring that up, like kind of under his breath. And I thought that was incredible television, first of all. But I was like, did I just overhear something I wasn't meant to overhear? I mean, I just didn't understand the point of him being on stage other than is he going to jump into yeah. the race?
4: I really think he is. And, you know, I, I could very well be wrong. But I I do think if, if the Democrats would make a grievous error if they ran this string out with Joe Biden,
3: so I could be wrong about this uh, because the news cycle is so. Is so quick, yeah. But what's going on right now in Texas with this woman who is carrying what I understand is a non-viable fetus, right? And uh, was given permission by one court to to abort, and uh, another court said no. And the uh, attorney general is threatening to you know incarcerate doctors who would perform the abortion. I don't think that's a great look for the Republicans. No, I think the Democrats, if this plays out the way it's playing out, uh, that for even um, uh, conservative women you're, you're never going to get the real staunch pro-life women but I think you could get a lot I just think that, that that doesn't play well right so you're the only woman in the room what do you think
5: yeah I think it doesn't play well because you're getting in the way of a woman being able to have more children in the future I mean this is a situation it's not as if she's just saying like I don't want this baby there there's reasons why she says she needs to get this abortion. Her doctors agree with her. I just think it is a bad look, and I think there are plenty of conservative women out there who see the situation for what it is, which is a medical... This should be a medical decision between a woman and her doctor. And this is kind of what, you know, pro-choice people say all the time, is like, it's this is a, a private decision, and now we're seeing a private decision play out publicly. I think that is going to hurt. Yeah,
3: it really is, like... And and we all know this, and John, you know it uh, better than anyone, that there's a difference. It's like uh, when Ray watched his face, the NFL player punched his girlfriend in the elevator. Mm. When you heard about it, oh, that's awful. When you saw the video, you're like, oh, my God, that's, that's, that's yeah. stomach churning. We've all talked about abortion forever, but then when you see a picture of the woman, with her hand on her belly, who obviously wanted this child. But I can see the woman. Uh, that's what she looks like. She's got a baby inside her that the doctors say isn't going to make it. It so personalizes it. It does. It makes it, it more
4: powerful. Uh, the Republicans have been mishandling this issue since the Dobbs decision. I'm pro-life. Uh, the, way to, the way to properly frame this issue is, is there a point in time in a pregnancy where the rights of that unborn child – matter, uh, and should be protected. Right. And I think most people agree. Yeah, there is a point. Yeah. And so are you, are we going to fight over the very rare cases of rape and incest or in a case like this, a medical situation where the, the baby's not viable and going to do potential damage to the mother? Are those the issues that we ought to be fighting over as Republicans? No. Uh, because the vast majority of people and you know whatever your religious beliefs are they are but public policy is made in this country by consensus and and it's so the the when you're arguing about those kinds of cases you're losing uh, the the pro life approach needs to be that there is a point in time where absolutely most of us agree that baby has a right to life mm-hmm. and we'll we'll argue about where mm-hmm. it is on that mm-hmm. time spectrum yeah. and we'll have that debate and and we'll resolve it collectively in public policy but that's where we need to be focused on talking about this issue because it, it, these these very tragic and rare circumstances uh are not helpful no. on the issue so i think i think many of the uh, of the candidates in in my party have not handled this issue particularly well yeah
3: I agree. Uh, let's talk to Matt on line one, calling from Kirkwood. Hey, Matt, go ahead.
6: Hey, how you guys doing? Good, man. Hey, yeah. Um, so I listened to the conversation. I think what you what you just said right there about abortion right there, 100 um, percent true. The Republican side has not handled it well. Um, I've spent my whole life, you know, listening to uh, people push for uh, getting rid of abortion. And now that it's actually here. Um, it seems like all it's done is, you know, be an albatross around the Republican Party's neck. So that's going to be huge. Um, you know, you're talking about young people being not fired up for Joe Biden. They're not. No one's fired up for Joe Biden. Um, I can't think of a more unpopular uh, politician I've ever seen in my life. Herbert Hoover. Uh, who <laughs> inspires nobody, really. Mm-hmm. But um, he's probably going to win pretty handily again against Donald Trump if that's the uh, the rematch. And abortion is going to be a huge part of
3: Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it. Uh, if you'd like to uh, call in and talk with us or talk to uh, John Hancock, 314 436 7900 800 1120
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash recommend today.
3: 425 DGS, John Hancock with us, making the phones ring. Dirk calling from Ledoux on line one. Dirk, go right ahead.
6: The floor is yours. Hi, thanks. Yeah, no. Uh, I just want to say I, I agree with what you guys are saying. The, when a mother's life is in danger or their future is in danger, That's self-defense. It's not an abortion, so to speak. Um, I think abortion used as birth control is wrong. Mm -hmm. I'm very pro-life. But I think the Republicans are going to fall on their sword on this one. And it's the wrong issue.
3: Yeah, I agree with that as well. I agree with that as well. I I was saying to John, it's like uh, the dog that caught the car and didn't know what to do with it. You know, that that after – when the Dobbs decision, which I'll admit, I never thought Roe v. Wade would be overturned. I did. Yeah, I never did. Yeah. And, and I just felt like the Republicans got a little greedy, uh, especially when it's like, look, we just wanted to go to the states. Okay, well, I'm a states' rights guy. Yeah. I can live with that. But then when it was – you know what we really need, though, would be a federal. Like, okay, hold on a second. And now – like. It's just such a bad look that it's not even a bad look. It's a bad thing, in my humble opinion, when an attorney general is threatening to put a doctor in jail to to do an abortion for a woman who's carrying a child that is not going to make it. And she may be barren afterwards. It's just it's 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 just the wrong hill to die on no horrible. Uh, You
4: know, public policy and and political decisions are best made when they're made in the sweet spot where 70 percent or more of the people agree with you. And they're worst made when you're making a decision where 15 percent of the people agree with you. And you can do it. uh, But historically, you don't get reelected when you do that on a consistent basis.
3: Rachel, let's talk to John online, too. John, welcome to the show. Go ahead. Yeah. Am I on, Dave and John? Yeah, sure, John. Hey,
7: hey, I tell you what, fellas, uh, Dave, I'm always uh, 99 percent behind most of what you say throughout these years. And uh, you both hit it right on the head on the abortion issue and uh, for the same reasons the last caller called in uh, stated. And I want to say that I was a former Trump voter and I voted for Trump. And I actually thought he would help my industry, which didn't happen, uh, you know, coal power plants and And I end up getting laid off eventually. And so that didn't work out so well. But I don't believe for one thing that anybody who's got, you know, it's really honest with themselves can believe that he is the person to back when it comes to things like abortion and religion. I just I have zero faith in the man. I think he's full of himself. It's all about him and and if he's the nominee, I would say that's the best thing in the world for the Democrat, because I would I would bet my retirement fund, there's no way that
4: Trump will be yeah. reelected again. I, I, Thank you, John. I, I'm not a fan of, of, of Donald Trump's either, John, but I would caution you about that retirement fund <laughs> because it, it's he could very well be the president.
3: I uh, like John, I, I voted for Trump the first time. And I didn't have high hopes, but I had hopes. Mm-hmm. And I still I remember uh, Scary Larry, who owns all of the uh, uh, haunted houses in town. <laughs>
4: Scary Larry
3: said one of the smartest things ever on the DGS. Uh, this has been years ago, but he said Trump could have been a great president. He said had he really stuck with deal making and stayed on the on the you know the 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 right path and not gone crazy personally. He could have been a great deal-maker, and I agree with that. He had the tools to do it. He just got, to me, so far over his skis, and, and he's just s- so into himself. And uh, I've never seen a person who is so easily poked and triggered, which yeah. is not what you want for a leader of anything.
4: Yeah, I mean, you, if you look at— But you, I had hopes for him at one point. Well, I mean, you go back to—we're about out of time. Uh, let's carry it over.
3: Okay, we'll carry it over. We'll be able to take a quick break. Right back with the DGS and k <sighs> 440 DGS, Uh, really appreciate it if you guys would come out on Friday. We're doing our show live from uh, the Hardee's on Mid-Rivers Mall. And it just makes for a lot more fun show If you guys come by and uh, Just watch us like monkeys at the zoo We'll be there one to five And we're going to have some celebrity guests come in And uh, producer Tom's going to come in And spend some time with us And it's kind of like the old Jerry Lewis telethon When we were kids uh, When he got into his last hour and he was all You know, uh, you know, goofy from not Sleeping, and people would bring in the big Checks, we have some people who bring in Larger checks, and uh, right now We're sitting at 54000 that's wow. gonna to go up tomorrow because we'll get our new tally and uh, we're hoping to hit around 70, 75 and uh, yeah. So all you have to do is go to Hardee's uh, breakfast, lunch, dinner, anytime between now and the 18th of the month. They'll ask you to give a dollar. You'll get a DGS sticker. You can give more than that. You can round up. Um, so many ways to help out Operation Food Search. John, do you remember your thought before we went to break? You said, let's carry this over. Well, you,
4: we, you were talking about Trump being a deal maker and and that was exactly my thought it, it, when he got elected that here maybe was a guy because he, he he was a fairly new Republican uh, had been a Democrat most of his life I thought that here was a guy that could come in maybe and and put Congress together and, and get some things done you know on a bipartisan basis and it, that just didn't happen and um, it, things got more polarized after he came on the scene but I really did have some hope that uh, after being elected, and you know, Donald Trump is a entertainer, and um, and he's—I can see how he's appealing for a lot of people, and uh, just his kind of manner that he has, the the whole shtick at the stump speeches and the rallies, and I see where that's appealing for people. But I thought that being the president, that the weight of the presidency itself, and Uh, The fact that I thought some of his very early cabinet selections were outstanding. I I really thought he, okay, you know. Here's James Mattis, really good, solid guy. Rex Tillerson, unique choice for Mm -hmm, State, mm -hmm. but, you know, a very accomplished guy. And everything I'd read about Rex Tillerson was positive. And there were a lot of those kinds of people, Reince Priebus, the chief of staff initially, uh, who I had known at the Republican National Committee to be a, you know, very organized, successful guy. And so I, I was pretty hopeful uh, coming out. And then and then, you know, yeah, we have what we have. So
3: overall. uh um Because, like, uh, George W. Mm -hmm. was supposed to be so conservative, and Obama was the most liberal thing we would ever see in the history, and they both look like moderates now. You used to be a fascist. Michael Kelly used to be a communist. Why do you think the fringes have have had such sway in the past few years?
4: There's a lot of disaffection in the culture on all sides for multiple reasons. And certainly, I'm most acquainted with the Republican Party. We've always had, I mean, go back to the 1960s and the John Birch Society. Mm-hmm. That conspiracy, you know, the whole world is run by a handful of families that are manipulating everything. You know, that, that's that's that been out there. It's been part of um, the Republican Party. And I'm sure the Democrats have their version of it. I'm just not acquainted with it. And And so... Those kind of folks were always seen as something to be dealt with when you were in the establishment of the party. And whether it was Bill Buckley or Ronald Reagan telling the John Birchers to, you know, go away. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then what has happened then over the course of multiple reforms of our campaign finance laws and the way politics works is— you know, as much as everybody rails on the establishment, I'm anti-establishment. You know, that sentiment is out there. The establishment is more powerless today than it's ever been. And so you strip away uh, the ability to go out and say, now, this candidate is electable. Let's promote this candidate. Uh, let's, it, those days are gone. And so, and it, it, the, the, the number of folks that are in the disaffected area, I think, has grown. And the number of people who participate uh, has shrunk. And so you get a disproportionate influence of those folks that are most, you know, upset with the way things are.
3: That's about as good an an explanation as I've heard. Uh, Dave from Corps has an interesting uh, take on all this. Dave, go ahead.
6: Yeah, hi. My point is this. It seems like uh, we're talking an awful lot uh, just day in and day out about Trump, his presidency, why he shouldn't be reelected. And it seems like less and less dialogue is happening about the accomplishments of Biden, if there are some, as why he should be reelected. It seems like this, you know, kind of the Trump derangement syndrome, if you will, it's becoming commonplace. And you know, just at CBS News, when you guys had a break, they're talking about the inflation and everything else, and and how the, you know people that were interviewed were dissatisfied with the way Biden's handling. The economy and inflation, but that yet they threw in another person that they interviewed blaming Trump. It just seems like, you know, if Biden's everybody's guy, let's talk about him. And it seems like nobody's following the congressional hearings as it relates to what's going on with uh, his potential tied to his son. Thank you very much.
4: Thank you, Dave. Yeah, you know, so the interesting point here, um, and I, I would disagree a little bit, Dave, because the Biden campaign has spent the last six months telling us how great Bidenomics is. And they're really trying to double down and and build a record. They're building a, the kind of campaign that is going to be, um, you know, a stamp of approval on a job well done. That's not going to work. Okay? It's clear to me that that approach is not good. Joe Biden's not going to win re-election because of the great job he's done. It's not going to happen.
3: And Let me ask you this because I am not in, I'd – I – I'm not a numbers guy, mm-hmm. but I keep seeing numbers come out that seem like they should be good. Uh, you know, unemployment and the jobs report and such. Yep. And yet it's not getting traction. Right. And I'm confused as to whether that is sort of Biden derangement syndrome that we won't give him credit for the, the good stuff he's doing. Or if it's not if it's just numbers that aren't kitchen table
4: numbers. Right. They're not. So you and I are about the same age. And you remember the 1970s when you were a little kid running around and your dad was, you know, blue-collar worker. My dad was a blue-collar worker. Um, Interest rates to buy a home we were moving when I was in the sixth grade and the interest rates were like 20% for a house. Inflation is real. And uh, we're spending more money to have the same standard of living than we were two years ago or three years ago. So you can look at all of the, boy, inflation's coming down. The uh, numbers say, you know, CPI's coming down. We don't feel that. Yeah. And we feel inflation. Uh, every time you go out and go to dinner or, or go to the grocery store. And so, you know, the, the happy horse numbers that that are out there that yeah. the economists are talking about aren't actually affecting people's lives. Yeah, and and the you- problem Biden fundamentally has and it's not his fault, all, uh, but he's the president, so you kind of, you get what you get there. Yeah. Uh, is it the, the people out there who are working for a living understand that this is not a good economy? I do pretty well, and when I go to the store
3: and I'm going to buy a hamburger and mm-hmm. it's $10 a pound, yeah, I'm thinking twice. Yeah.
4: And so for people who don't do that well,
3: I don't know how they're doing it.
4: Yeah. I I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you, and you know my business is cyclical. So uh, odd-numbered years are never as good as even-numbered yeah, yeah, years right. for me. Yeah, and so I've felt it. I guarantee. And, I've and felt you're
3: it. right. It doesn't matter what I see on the news. Right.
4: If hamburgers ten bucks, <laughs> <pounds, laughs> yeah. it doesn't matter. No.
3: So just enough time here to say uh, thank you to Skip Weber. He couldn't be here today, Mondays or Skip Weber days. And he is the sponsor, of course, of the Sweet 16, has been forever. And we always give him a nice shout out. So in his absence, I'm going to make it super simple and say that every car I have bought uh, in the past 10, 12 years for me, for the kids, has been a Weber Chevrolet or a Weber Ford. I don't even negotiate. Uh, I just tell them, you give me the best price, I'm going to trust you. I've used their service a lot. They're absolutely great. So whether it's a, a Chevy or a Ford, a Bronco, uh, uh, you know, a Tahoe, whatever you're looking at, they're going to treat you really, really well. Uh, Johnny, thank you, man. This was Yeah, fun. my
4: cousin Mike Mansfield was in that service department over at Weber Chevrolet, yeah. and they they really are they're quite great. Good. They do amazing work. Yeah, they take care of their people, too.
1: They do. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget.